Well, hey guys, welcome back to another edition of Engage. Today, Commander Eric and I are going to be talking about Star Trek Picard Season 1, Episode 2, Maps and Legends. So as you know, I'm the captain of Captain Chase McKinney, and I am so happy to have each and every one of you listening. And um, again, I'm even more happy to have my, my good friend, my, my number one, Eric, hanging out with me as we talk episode two so how are you doing my friend i'm doing really good i'm ready to talk about this episode there's a lot to try and unpack here and i'm ready to do it with you unpack yeah like groceries right maybe like i don't don't do a lot of i don't do a lot of grocery shopping i mean to each their own i guess i mean as long as i got my cranberry juice and you know some some cereal and stuff with milk of course then i'm good yeah, with milk, right? Um, that's interesting because there was some milk in this episode, wasn't there? There, there might have been some milk in this episode. Like, 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 like before we get into that, was she paying for that milk? Is that what she was doing there? You know, there's there's a, a few things that I just want to know about. So maybe, I mean, you know, the Federation they have money, you know, only when, when it, they need when it. When it when the plot demands it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just. Who needs a mint? You can just replicate money, right? Exactly. Or maybe I the mean, replicators don't do that, though, right? Remember, like, Tuvok told Neelix that the replicator wouldn't make him a Starfleet uniform? I mean, I mean, I kind of have an issue with that, you know, because, I mean, it's matter. And what's the matter with that? Okay, I'm sorry. Couldn't resist. Wow, that was terrible. You're welcome. That's Is I'm, that your dad joke? You're working on your that, dad jokes? That's my dad joke for the day. I mean, I got to meet my quota. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there probably is a dad joke quota. I wouldn't know, but there probably is. You never know. You never know. But anyway, so there before we start talking about uh, this particular episode, there were some things that kind of came to mind for for me uh, following our last reaction episode. Uh, There was like maybe one other thing that kind of came to mind uh, with the first episode, like with the characters that we were introduced to, and that is um, specifically Dodge and, and Soji, uh, which we found out in this episode, kind of jumping with the timeline right now, that um, their last name is Asha, not Asher. We were kind of confused on the pronunciation of that and how it was being dictated um, in the last episode. But anyways, Dodge... Uh, for anyone that cares and is a wordsmith and enjoys meanings of names and whatever, Dodge means um, gift from God, and so and Soji means general administer. Okay, those are both interesting. I think they're somewhat appropriate. Indeed, indeed. I mean. Uh, where did you discover? Where did you discover these meanings? Did you like look them up somewhere? Was it on the like the trivia on IMDb? Where did you find these meanings? I just started looking up like baby girl names and started looking up. I mean, it was more like what does Dodge mean, and what does Soji mean, and uh, I think Dodge is from the Hindi language, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, Soji, I believe, and please. No one hate tweet me for this. But I think it's from the Japanese language. I think. 
it sounds like it could be Japanese. Sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if you're going to hate tweet, hate tweet Chase, not me. Right. Because, I mean, he doesn't have a Twitter, so I mean. No, I do not. Never will. <laughs> but uh, I, liked, I like to do that. And, um, you know, apart from music, you know, which we talked about last time, um, I do like to look at the etymology of words and kind of how they're formed and stuff like that. And anyway, so understanding that um, I thought was kind of kind of interesting and worth pointing out that I meant to last time and just kind of slipped my mind. And even looking at the Star Trek Picard countdown comics, like the ship that Picard was on, the Verity, um, that's a very virtuous name um, in terms of it's like a See, now I'm putting myself on the spot. It's it's like the, the morally right thing to do. It's it's highly virtuous, highly um, truthful and moral, basically, is what verity means to a certain extent. And um, I'm probably putting my foot in my mouth with that. But what I'll do is just to make sure it's absolutely clear, I'll put this like on the Facebook group uh, for our members. So if you are listening and you want to join a community of of Trek fans, I highly encourage you to check out These Are the Voyages, um, our Facebook group. We have a page and a group and all the other socials too. So, and I just wanted to point that out, Eric, just before we got started with episode two today. Yeah, that Facebook group, like, uh, I posted a few things on there this week that I thought were really funny, and they got a laugh out of you too, Chase. <laughs> <laughs> great, great meme with like Quark clinking some gold press latinum back and forth. Yep. Complaining about all the people that are like, oh, I'm just going to wait till the whole season's over so I can get this for free and save myself six bucks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's one way of doing it, I suppose. But, you know, you're missing out and and whatnot. And plus, if you're listening to this and you haven't watched it, then we're totally spoiling the show for you. What's up with that, huh? Yeah, but they could be listening to this in the future after they've watched the whole season. Like in the year 2399? Well, I mean, if this ex- if this still exists, then we've done a good job. It'll be in the Quantum Archive, right next to Picard's little secret playroom. If someone puts it there, awesome. I mean, I'm going to put it in, like, my will or something, that this, needs, this podcast needs to be strategically placed next to Picard's playroom. Let's do it. With the, sec- with the second picture of Dosh. Oh, the second picture of daughter. Let's anyway. do it. And all the little, all his little toy ships that uh, Lily will get pissed about. Well, those all broke. Well, the re- there's the refit. Yeah, you can always remake them, though. They're just little tiny ships. They're so beautiful. I love them. Okay, so let's keep going. All right, that's <laughs> an- enough preamble. Let's let's get into it. <laughs> So anyway, so this was, um, this was, like I said, this is episode two of Star Trek Picard called Maps and Legends. And this episode takes place immediately following uh, the events of the first one. Um, now, when this episode started, though, we're kind of, we go on the way back machine to the synth, the rogue synth attack that happened um, at uh, Mars and Utopia Planitia and stuff like that. And uh I guess let's kind of start there uh, and kind of work our way forward. So uh, we, we're finally seeing future Mars, basically, and the shipyard. So um, what was that like for you, Eric, seeing 
actually seeing that on screen the way that it was. Is is this the first time we've ever seen the Unopia, Utopia Planitia shipping yards? You know, I want to... S- seen it before. I want to say this is the first time. I don't. I know we've seen space dock around Earth, but I don't think we've ever seen the shipping yards on Mars. I don't think we have either. And you're right. We've we've seen like air quotes dry dock in orbit above you know Earth. And if we did see it, if we did see Utopia Planitia, uh, in some other iteration of Trek. I'm not aware of it. And if someone knows about it, then please let us know. But I think this is, in earnest, the first time we're actually seeing it. Yeah, I know at the very end of Enterprise, they had that two-part episode that was, you know, on Mars where Peter Weller was there. But I don't think the shipping yards existed yet. Right. 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 So that was just neat, I think, just to see the shipping yards for the first time. Right? Mm-hmm. Just like in the first episode, we saw the Daystrom Institute for the first time ever. Yep. Yep. But overall, this scene, first of all, it's got a lot of uh, Battlestar Galactica, you know, um, influence. Mm-hmm. Right? With the, the synthetic creations that, you know, wipe out an entire area. But then I look at this and I say, what's the purpose of this scene? If this scene is just to show what happened, then I don't necessarily think it's, I don't think it's necessary. In order for them to like show this scene, I feel like there has to be some payoff later in the season. What do you think about that? I'm hoping so. I'm hoping so because and this is kind of separate from the show itself, but I was watching um, The Ready Room, which is like the little post-show discussion that Will Wheaton does with the creative, the creatives, basically, and oh. eventually the cast and crew. I, Will Wheaton has like a After Trek show? Yeah. I didn't even know that. That's cool. Boom shakalaka. Look at that. Right, dropping knowledge on us. Shazam. Just like that. Make it so. Uh, yeah, so he he was talking with uh, who was it? Akiva Goldsman, who was uh, one of the the writers on this episode. He's one of the main writers of, of the series, I'm pretty sure, along with Michael Chabon and uh, and Kurtzman and, and company. So he's also anyway, one of the main writers on Discovery as well. Yeah, that too, that too. Uh, but he was one of the things that he was talking about was how they strategically had the synths look like data and to play on our own thoughts and feelings and our nostalgia about data and then basically kind of flip it on flip it on its head basically which i thought was well done and i can understand that like oh this is like a data junior like he's got the white skin and or the you know the glittery white skin he's got the yellow eyes like data does you know, he looks like Data does in the early seasons of Star Trek. Very slender, almost petite, I would say, if I can go that far. And then, like I said, they flip it on its head with, like, everything that happens in that control room. Um, or that engineering room, or whatever that room was that they were in. It looked like a break room to me. They were all eating lunch. Well, there was, 
Okay, yeah, there there was a break room, but there was also this other room that he went in and got like Oh yeah, yeah, at first. A, a sure. gunner or a, a phaser, a disruptor or something. Yeah, the first scene, right? Yeah. Where they hey, what's brown and sticky? A stick. Wow. What a terrible joke. Wow. That's like a dad joke, but that's like That's worse. That's worse than a dad joke. <laughs> No, but and, and he and he did give a data response, like he said, you know, some fancy, oh yeah, some goo. fancy scientific thing, yeah, yeah. So no, but then anyway. and then and then what was the name of that of that robot that we saw? It was F eight, so it's or supposed to be split fate. fate, yeah. <laughs> you get it, like you get it, like B four, right? You mean B four wasn't after data? <laughs> Nope, he was before. I know he was before, but aren't I thought he came after Data. Where is this? Who's on first? <laughs> Golly. We got jokes today, don't we? <laughs> We're not going to get anything done, my dude. Nope. Nothing will be accomplished if we keep telling these terrible, terrible jokes. I don't know. The listeners might like this. That or they've turned it off already. Yeah. Yeah. One of those two. No middle ground, right? <laughs> wow. We retained 50%. This is excellent. All right. Enough math. Enough dad jokes for now. Okay. So anyway, about this scene, right? In order to show this scene and especially start episode two with it, for mm-hmm. me, there has to be some payoff at the end, like I said, right? We have to go back to this. This can't be the only time we see it. And it also makes me think, and I know I've seen this, other people have said this online as well, that it doesn't appear that these synths were doing this on their own. It looks like maybe somebody had hacked them or taken control of them and was forcing them to do it. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, and like, I know, uh, like the, the little eyes did a little spinny, you know, rainbow wheel of processing going on. Right, right. And then they were saying, it doesn't look like these synths have, like, the personality or the mental intellect to be able to do this. They're, they don't have enough higher brain function. Right. Which, that kind of takes me back a little bit to what we were hearing in the first episode about before and this neuronic cloning that Bruce Maddox, uh, Commander Maddox was uh, like theorizing and kind of coming up with and stuff. And, you know, you hear Dr. Agnes Girati talking about how B4 was inferior copy. And if, if these synths were in some way impacted by virtue of B4, it makes me wonder if part of that that whatever, you know, was caused by some kind of malfunction from a download or from a you know, a data transfer or something, you know, from before to these synths or in the creation. I'm rambling, but do you get you get what no, I'm saying? I get what you're saying. You're you mean that it, they were trying to use B four to create other synths and like like Data tried to upload his memories into B4, right. trying to upload B4's memories into these new synths, and because it's not a sophisticated enough model, it led to these basically non-advanced synthetics. Yeah. 
Yeah, I get what you're saying. And I, okay. I totally that totally makes sense. And I believe that that's probably a good interpretation of what's happening. Sure. Sure. Okay. Well, so for me, watching this this prologue, this cold opener for this particular episode reminded me of some David Tennant era Doctor Who. And for any Whovians out there that have watched Doctor Who, and I don't know if you have, you, I don't think you, you haven't seen Doctor Who, have you? I've seen every great science fiction show, except I've never seen a single episode of Doctor Who ever. Okay, well, we got to remedy that. Well, it's it's not by choice. It's it is by choice. I don't normally like watching shows that are still making new episodes. So I like wait till the show is done, and then watch them all at once. That's just the way I prefer to watch shows. And Doctor Who is not done yet. So whenever this new era ends, right, that started in, what, 2006? Five. Five, yeah. Five, six with Christopher Ecclestein. Whenever this era of the show ends, whenever that is, I'll start watching. Wow. Wow. Okay. That could be another 16 years. Yeah, it could, could be a long time, but, you know. Well, anyways, back to this reminding me of Doctor Who, um, like the David Tennant era. Uh, like I said, for any of the Whovians that are watching, the the way that this scene was shot with the synth attack in the break room, and at least like what we're being shown in this break room or whatever it is um, where these workers are in this synth is, it reminded me of like, uh, oh gosh, the... The, like the episode 42 um, or where we're first introduced to um, the the Ood, uh, like the Satan pit and everything like that, um, both of which are episodes where David Tennant's 10th Doctor are wearing this orange spacesuit. Well, 42, technically it's red, but they're both spacesuit episodes. And it was the lighting from that episode that made me think of, or, or you know, the lighting from this episode that made me think of that one. So... Uh, it had that vibe to it, so uh, just something to kind of keep in mind. Um, maybe you'll you'll have the same opinion for any of the Whovians out there that are watching Star Trek Picard. But uh, right, wrong, or indifferent—that's just what it reminded me of. And one thing I do want to talk about is um, this part of the episode: the music. I did not like the music for the opener. Not not the title card main theme, but like the just like the do 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 that we kept hearing um, whenever we're first panning um, to Mars and we're zooming into um, this work area. It just it it rubbed me the wrong way. It felt very hokey, and I don't know. Just I don't know if it was meant to create hokiness, but that's just kind of how it made me feel. That's that's interesting. I honestly didn't even notice the music in this part. I definitely noticed the music later in this episode, and I think the music later in this episode works to good effect. But honestly, I didn't even notice music at all in this part. Okay. So I don't want to I don't want to camp out on this too much. But what did you think of the workers, the humans, and and how they were interacting with the synths? I feel like it almost doesn't make sense because in the Federation, humanity is supposed to be this evolved, idyllic race. And for them to be somewhat like 
maybe racist is the word to use, mm-hmm. really doesn't make sense to me because they should be used to, you know, things like this. Right. I mean, they are, you know, we hear in first contact, especially, you know, we, we were more evolved and stuff like that. And we hear all throughout all the shows how we've put our differences behind us and how we've united as a people. And I'm not saying it as eloquently as any of the other captains would have said it, but the point remains the same, that we've put our differences behind us and we've grown as, as humanity in how we interact and work with people that are different from ourselves. I mean, that's like the mandate of Starfleet is to you know, seek out new life and new civilizations. And you know, seeing, seeing these folks, um, they looked like 20th and 21st century humans and not like like 23rd, 4th, 5th century humans like we've come to know, like with hairstyles and demeanor, how they carry themselves, how they interact with people. It was just, it was weird it seeing was, that. It was weird. And another thing that this brings up, there's that episode of Voyager called Author, Author, mm-hmm. right, where uh, um, the doctor writes a like a hollow novel, but um, you learned that in an episode earlier, you learned that uh, the EMH Mark One, which our doctor is, was like decommissioned by Starfleet, but they didn't want to get rid of the holograms, so they reprogrammed these holograms to like do mining in harsh conditions. And I feel like that's almost what um, these synthetics are here. And so you feel like you'd have workers that are used to so-called lesser life forms being around them. Right. And this, this goes back to measure of a man too, where, you know, we're, we're talking about a subservient race versus a master race type of thing. Like, um, and and I feel like that's kind of where we're at. I mean, this is in 2385. And if I'm not mistaken, Star Trek Nemesis takes place in uh, 2379. So it's only been six years since Data died or was blown up uh, with this happening. So the creation of these of these new forms of life have been very much fast-tracked by the Federation and by Bruce Maddox and company or whoever the heck is, is doing it. Yeah, like, yeah, that timeline seems like it fits. Yeah. So, anyways, that's only the prologue. We haven't even talked about the rest of this. Yeah, that's the <laughs> prologue. Should, there's like that's I said, the There's a lot to unpack in this episode. There is. So, so uh, next part, if unless we have stuff we need to talk about, any more of the prologue? Nope. Let's move on. Okay, we're gonna keep on trucking. So, from here, we're we're in Chateau Picard again. We're in. Um, you know, Picard's ready room, I mean his study. And um, was that a dad joke? No, that was good. That was good. Okay, okay. Just checking. So we're we're in we're in his ready room, we're in his study, and we're talking about um, what happened to Dodge and going through this and we're starting to get uh, more understanding of Romulan lore. Uh, not a, a Romulan version of lore. I'm talking like Romulan like history and understanding of stuff. That's what I mean by lore, just to clarify that. 
This is Star Trek after all. And we start hearing this thing about the the Jatvash. The Jatvash. Jatvash. Try saying that ten times fast, everyone. Jatvash, Jatvash, Jatvash. It almost sounds like, you know, Jean Valjean after a while, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're here hey, here's the name Vash, right? That is yes. not a coincidence. Do you think Vash from Next Gen was actually a Romulan? No. Okay. No. Glad we had that got no. that settled. Nope. <laughs> That's a whole bunch of nope. Nope. Alright. So anyway, so Laris and Jaban, the two Romulans there, are talking about about this super duper secret secret police secret police organization with inside a secret police organization man that's like inception that they incepted it yeah i get it okay well why don't you go ahead and and take this one eric well it's funny because like last week we called these people his housekeeper and his butler right and today we learned they're both former tel shiar agents like okay that i thought that was interesting and well, like, I think, to be fair, I think I had mentioned that, too. Like, that was kind of set up in the Picard Countdown comic as well. Okay. That that's how, I, that's think, how I, think Picard, did, I think you did say that, yeah. I but, yeah, that. we did, we definitely did joke about, you know, the butler and groundskeeper. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so then this Laris. Laris or Laris? Laris. Laris, okay. So Laris starts to talk about this... not just centuries old but like millennia old organization right Mm -hmm. within Romulan society and I know Romulans probably don't use the same timeline we do but if we're talking 2399 you know if you're thousands and thousands of years old think back to like the year 400 right what was happening on earth in the year 400 (laughs) I mean this is an old organization but they're saying this organization there were created on this hatred and fear and loathing of synthetic beings, androids, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like if the Romulans knew about this type of technology 2,000 years ago. At least. Yeah. yeah. And then she said that the Jat Vash are keeping a secret and no one knows what that secret is, but if an outsider learns of it, that secret could break their mind. That seems a little intense in the words of Ron Burgundy. That escalated quickly. But I mean, those, those are the words that L- Lars uses. Yeah. So, like, what secret could be so profound, like 2,000 years old, that it could break someone's mind? Like, like I can't even think of that because my mind will break. I mean, maybe our galaxy is just a marble. Or we're in... in, Yeah, yeah, or we're on, like, a cat's neck. Basically. All right, tweet that if you know what we're referring to right now. Yeah. Or post it in the group, and you'll get, like, a thousand cool points or something like that. Okay, so so what do you think about this whole idea about the Jatvash, a secret organization with inside a secret organization? I mean... It's, I don't know, it it reminds me to a certain extent about like the Masons, right? So you have, you have like the Freemasons, 
you have your your three degrees and then the people the ones that people get all bent out of shape about is really what's called Scottish Rite Masonry. And that's where you have like the the thirty-third degree Mason, you know, the the ones that have to, you know, you know, donate blood or or you know sacrifice their firstborn or do some nonsense, like all these conspiracy theories and stuff like that. So that's what it reminds me of is like Masons and you know, 33rd degree Masons and things like that. So I don't know. I mean, I'm just going to wait and see what happens, but I'm just hoping it's not like going to just get us super excited and then just be like, you know, no, it, th- this, if they're introducing this, this cannot peter out. This has to be hugely it, important. Right. It does for sure. And, you know, with that, I'm wondering with, with this, this super duper secret police if if like that that scan that they were doing that with like the the leaving anti-leptons around to be able to scan if if that was something that was originally devised by the Jatvash or if that truly was a Tal Shiar thing but it's I guess at this point it's kind of hard to determine what was Tal Shiar and what was Jatvash within Romulan society you know right. what I'm saying? Right, I, I see what you're saying. Um, I feel like... Because, like, was it, the Tal Shiar was... What they were saying was was more of, like, a front for the Jatvash. Like, that was supposed to be, like, the more public face of intelligence, more or less. And it right. kind of just came to be accepted by the Romulan Star government... Um, or Romulan Star Empire, sorry, um, after a certain point. Right, that's... I'm agree. I agree with you. And so, so, and part of that was like the only way you can keep a secret is if you're dead. So the Jat Vash are supposed to be, quote unquote, dead, or people that are considered to be dead or whatever. Which oh oh so what? you so you took it to mean that all of the members of the Jat Vash are like presumed dead. Yeah, is that what you maybe? Oh, I did not even think of that. That's an interesting thought. It makes sense, but I, I that didn't come to mind. So what if? But what if? Hold on. Okay. This is coming to me right now. So Uh-oh. what if... Uh-oh. Light bulb. Light bulb. What if everything with Dodge and the biker Romulans, what if that was all just a setup where Picard has to believe Dodge is dead, but Dodge is some, is part of the Jatvash, and that's part of the whole being activated thing that they were talking about in the first episode? I know you don't like theories, but that's what was just coming to my head. Like, what if that was a setup? Because we learn later on there is some kind of conspiracy of sorts coming on. So I don't, I don't know that. Anyway, I don't that, like that idea. I don't know if I like it, but <laughs> when my when my brain starts thinking stuff, it just it happens. It just okay? go, it just goes. You don't you can't control it. I can't control my brain. Okay, I really <laughs> really hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it, I mean, that's just my, my, my noodle doing what it does and, you know, whatever. If it happens, cool. If it doesn't, it doesn't make me enjoy the show any less. It might. It won't, though. It probably won't. Okay. All right. But, All right. So, so. But yes, I think, I think the whole presumed dead thing is going to be like part of the puzzle, perhaps. Because otherwise, why would they have said that if it wasn't if it didn't need to be said why would it be said 
You know what I'm saying? No, I know what you're saying, but I get the I get the understanding that our character Narek is a member of the Shotvash. <sighs> that's that's the feeling that I get here. And um I know he says he has many names and you know, they could all just be aliases and he like yeah. could be somebody that's presumed dead, but I think he's being too out in the open if that's the case. Yeah. Well and not only that, but like Laris and Javon, they have they've had aliases too, or different names too. Like one of them is is a Vinix or Vinix or something like that, which again was in the Picard Countdown comic. It was actually in the most recent Picard Countdown comic. So you guys might have heard me say that in um, in the discussion that that I did on issue number three on TRTV News. So uh, and if you haven't picked up the comic. It's in there, and it concludes like this part, which is taking place in the twenty-three um, eighty-something time frame. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to be. I'm really interested to see what the payoff is going to be with this Jatvash conspiracy thing with this first season, and if it'll carry on into maybe the second or even third season, if there's a third season. No, I think I think this has to carry through, and I think it has to have a big payoff. Like I just said about the opening, the only reason to include that scene, I think, is to have some kind of payoff at the end. And I would think that the only reason to introduce the Jat Vash here after not ever knowing about it in Star Trek before is it's going to have some kind of big payoff at the end. It's going to be super important. Yeah. I can't imagine why you would introduce something brand new after all this time to not have it play a big role. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so moving on from the scene in his study cuz it's kind of intercut with the scene in Dodge's apartment. Talk me through your opinions of the scene in Dodge's apartment. I um Okay, so with with the Dodge Dodge's apartment, we're we're seeing uh, Laris, you know, kind of talking to Picard about this um, air quotes theoretical thing that they've kind of pulled the wool over the Federation's eyes, saying it's dubious at best, is what Picard calls it, uh, with being able to scan for um, organic patterns or whatever he called it uh, with that, you know, as in terms of like forensics and knowing what's what the heck happened, and. This is where we're introduced to antileptons. Antileptons is actually a real thing, I found out. Uh, real types of stuff in science and stuff. Smart um, p- People that are smarter than me know what, what that crap is, so yes, I'm going to leave it alone. Yes. I have a degree in physics, so I'm aware of leptons and antileptons. And Man, look at you go. Yeah, look at me. I mean, basically an antiparticle, and Star Trek's talked about anti-matter yes. all, like, all the time, is that it just, it's the same object, it just has a different charge. Okay. It's the mirror universe version of itself? No. Okay, well, I tried. No, but, but it is weird. It's a weird thing in science that um, that our universe is created almost entirely of matter, and there's no reason why it shouldn't be equal parts matter and antimatter. Like it's like a thing that they haven't figured out. Mm-hmm. Which that's one thing I will say. This is just as a quick aside. That's one thing I do appreciate about Star Trek is that it does take stuff that's theoretical, um, 
stuff that's kind of just a little bit beyond our reach and it tries to make sense of it and tries to make it a reality to a certain extent like with the transporter pad for crying out loud we have like what what's it called the heisenberg Com- compensator yeah and heisenberg compensator there's the old joke yeah. there's the old joke how does the heisenberg compensator work just fine thanks for asking <laughs> But anyway, I, this this was an interesting scene. I was the way that it was shot, though, left me a little wanting. Um, like we're, we're like you were saying, there's this intercut that's taking place where we're hearing her explain some stuff, like with the Jatvash and everything like that, and we're seeing this slow pan, the slow. Um, zoom in we're, we're starting to get like going from a wide shot to a tight shot um in dodge's apartment and the way that it's shot made me think like oh there's going to be like a romulan operative or Narek's going to be there or or someone's going to be there while she's talking and the next thing we, we see is you know picard and laris that are just beaming in and i'm like oh Okay. Yeah, you thought they were gonna like see them like searching or cleaning the apartment, and that yeah. was what happened. Yeah, that would be interesting, but that's not what happened. No, like the the it was the shot that was like that just threw me off. With no, that, no, so. I I totally understand what you're saying, absolutely. So, I thought it was kind of interesting how they did it. Um, I thought it was pretty cool what they did sure. with with using her her little you know data pad thing her smartphone and flashlight combo and being able to see what was going on i was thinking like what if they were doing something embarrassing like i don't know playing twister or something like that would have been kind of awkward to to see like on a forensics thing not that twister's embarrassing but i think i think you just see the last thing that happened the most recent thing but the most recent thing wasn't them you know, sitting on the couch, sitting on the couch, and the, ordering a frappuccino. It was, it was getting getting, getting stabby stabbed and using the force. Sure, yeah. <laughs> but I I did enjoy the scene for the most part, and I don't know, dude. Like I know we're we're twenty years in the future with this show, but I'm just having a hard time with the hologram stuff like i know i know we had the emh okay i know we had the ech and i know listen in deep space nine they introduce the uh there's that hologram communications pad that they put on the defiant yeah and they oh god it wasn't just on the defiant um i for some reason believe that they had something in cisco's ready room because didn't um, didn't the admiral yes like yes. do a little hologram thing in his his ready room too? Yes, he did. Yep. So I don't know if I'm just but, set but, my ways. I I'm think, just having a hard time with it. But I, here's the thing: the same people running this show. There's some crossover between the people running Discovery. Yes, there and is. they introduced holographic communication in Discovery, which totally doesn't make sense. But let's please not go down that road right now please i just think the people i just think these people who are running the show are like well we're just gonna do the same thing it's the same universe let's carry stuff over 
But to their credit, it does make more sense that it's here now in oh, the late twenty fourth, early early twenty fifth century compared to, you know, Kirk's era, which is mid twenty third century, basically. Yes, absolutely. Or yeah, twenty third, yeah, twenty third century. There we go. Yeah. So. Anyway, that that was just me. Like I was just having a, I'm just having a hard time like with this heads up display computer stuff, and I'll I'll be okay with it. I just got a deal because it is what it is, but it's just going to take me some time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My my biggest problem with this scene is that I know that this is Laris and she was a member of the Tal Shiar and she's got training and things like that, but people in this show seem to be able to figure out things very quickly, right? Like... Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I could just... Hey, they might have left a clue, but it's not a real clue. It's a fake clue. And Picard just... The first thing he looks at... Oh, well, maybe the false clue is in this thing. And then she pops it up and she says... Oh, well, we can't find anything in here. Everything looks the same. But you know what? I have a brilliant idea. And... Oh, I can tell you exactly that she's not on Earth. And it's like should you really be able to figure these things out that fast? I know it's it's not going to be exciting television if it takes them, you know, two days to figure out what's happening, but it just seems like it was very fast to me. So whenever um, she was asking Picard, like, what do, what do you do whenever you're, you're setting up a new digital assistant? With her, you know, her Romulan Irish accent. Um, and the first thing that came to mind was wait does does Picard have like Alexa or something or Siri? <laughs> <laughs> all right, I digress. I digress. So, all right, this next part after after this, I'm pretty if I'm if I'm remembering this the order right, Eric, it's where we go to the artifact with um, Soji and Narek. Yes, and that's what we're calling it now, is the artifact. And, dude, mm-mm, I can't talk about this. Like, this made me cringe. This entire scene made me cringe. Oh, yeah, this is definitely, I think, the low part of the episode. First of all, first of all, I know it's a thing, but I hate the idea of, like, somebody who's, like, member of a spy organization, like sleeping with someone to get information out of them. I know it's a thing, but I just hate it. Can we stop doing this? Like, does it, is this the only way to get information out of people is to sleep with them? Like, honestly, is this the only way we can do this? <sighs> yeah. Appar- apparently, we have to, even in Star Trek. I don't know. I don't. I just maybe this is just maybe no one else has a problem with this. I just feel like every single like time there's any type of spy thing, the person has to like, oh, I'm gonna get information out of by sleeping with them. You know, I was just watching uh, an episode of Next Gen, First Contact, not the movie, the episode First Contact, and the how they played that off with with Riker being the alien, right? And this person's like. I want to know more about you. And the only way you're going to get out of here is by sleeping with me. And, you know, 
that I think that was better done. It was well done. But this was just clunky as heck, man. Like oh. I I was just cringing the entire time. Like I just wanted it to go away. I'm like, make it stop, make it stop, make it like, stop. And I think these first two episodes are just full of really clunky exposition. There's so much information that they're trying to get out to us so quickly and they're doing it in a very poor manner. Sure. And Akiva Gold, Akiva Gold, Akiva Goldsman, whatever, Akiva, uh, on the ready room, whenever uh, Will Wheaton was, uh, you know, interviewing him, was talking about how these first three episodes of Star Trek Picard is basically going to be act one of the show. So you do the math of thirds and, you know, that's just how it's going to be, I guess. And right now, as it stands, Narek is my least favorite character of this show so far. Okay. Um, so far. I don't, I don't I, like... I, mean, I, don't, I don't really feel like we know enough about him to, like, have an opinion. I don't, anyway. I... Because he just, was he was in the first episode for what one minute, yes. And he's in this episode. I mean, maybe he's in this episode for what seven or eight minutes, or two. I don't know, but yeah. Uh, what, but like, I just feel like he's such. We don't know enough about him. I don't feel like I haven't to develop an opinion of him. But I can sure. understand. I can understand why you you don't care for this character at this moment. It yeah yeah, and I there's there is one scene. Uh, later on that I was just like like hard eye roll hard eye roll okay with. all right let's do it. what scene are, are we gonna we're gonna jump around now oh oh I thought it was in this this same no 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 no, okay, no it's in okay. a different scene oh okay yeah sure I thought I will get to it I have my finger on it right now so okay I will. all right so don't take your finger off that button <laughs> so so then we we go from the bedroom scene to uh this administrator basically giving a security briefing which is really awful a really awful scene hold on i don't think that was was that next i thought that well well, well there's there's the scene where uh soji is helping the trill put her like uniform on i thought that was later on because that's coming up with what i had my finger on the button for I'm you know, let's let's just let's just go and talk about all the Borg cube yeah, stuff right yeah, now. Let's yeah. just go and do it. I'm pretty sure we go right from the bedroom scene to oh, we have to get up and go to work, and then we come out into like basically like the staging area, and there's that guy telling them, "Hey, this is a dangerous place, and you have to be afraid, and you might run into you know a former Borg, and if you don't know if something is dangerous, assume it's dangerous." Yeah, it was like the the ride when you're getting on like you know the teacups at Disneyland. It's like, please keep your hands and feet inside the ride at all times. Make sure the lap bar's down. Don't try and get up. And stuff what, like that. One hundred percent, we're gonna have a scene coming up very shortly where someone goes where they're not supposed to, and their badge is gonna turn green and they have to run. Yes, that's happening. One hundred percent, that's happening. So I have to say, whenever I was. I was watching this with the, the, you know, the park ride briefing that they're doing. It totally took me back to uh, Borg Invasion 4D at 
um, Star Trek: The Experience in Las Vegas, and was you, there you, was there a security briefing before that? Yes. Yes. There was a briefing, and it's like, thank you for coming to Copernicus Station, and stuff like that. And you just you go through, and it's, it's a walking tour basically. But they have you know Starfleet personnel, and and like they have like their phase rifles and stuff like that. And then they have Borg drones that end up on Copernicus Station, and they're trying to assimilate people, assimilate the past. You know, kind of like they did in the movie First Contact, of course. And then it ultimately ends in you getting on this, the simulator, which is directly connected to Voyager. It's more connected to Voyager than it is like the next gen crew. But like it totally took me back to that, especially with like the shot where um, like the the um, warehouse door kind of like pops up, and then like they walk through. I'm like, dude, that is like Star Trek: The Experience all over again for me. Well, that's, that's neat, right? I wonder if this is... I doubt it is, but I wonder if they did that on purpose. It might. I mean, maybe. That'd be cool. Like, That'd be cool. Do, I don't know if I don't know if the producers and the creators of this have that much um, foresight and knowledge. That'd be cool if it was. Yeah. Okay, so I, I have my, my finger on the button. I have okay. to talk about this. Okay, so, okay, go ahead. Do it. Okay, finger on the button. Let's do where it. Where he's like... Um, I'd like, um, Doctor Asher. I'd like to see you, uh, do your do your um, surgery. Actually, you're gonna need you're gonna need permission from such and such to be able to do that. Actually, I don't. <laughs> okay, so why do you hate that so much? Why is that just like a claw on your side? Okay, I love, and if you remember, remember me doing this like at conclaves or on service days or just camping in general dude i love me some austin powers but that totally took me out of it it all i saw was mike myers with like the bad teeth and the glasses saying oh behave baby like that's it, it was austin powers in that moment for me that's all it was for me i each time the three times that i saw this episode i kept seeing and hearing austin powers whenever he cocked his head and he's like Actually, I don't. Like, really? It's like, it was freaking Austin Powers in space. Wow. Okay, I, wow. Okay, that's not what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> but I do enjoy me some, some Austin Powers, you know. Preparations A through G were a complete failure. But alas, ladies and gentlemen, we finally have ourselves a working tractor beam, which we shall call Preparation H. Okay, I'm done. Okay, so chase rant over. Let's move on to the scene. Okay, let's move on to the scene um, where we're doing surgery on these Borg that we've taken out of stasis. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what are the Romulans doing here? They are what? They're taking a port Borg, te Borg technology to try and reverse engineer it and then build their own weapons and ships? I guess we just we really don't know at this point what they're going to do. And you know, with this with this surgery, I don't know if you noticed this. I didn't even notice this until the third time, and I guess I'm just like dense or something. But there's a shot that we see with what appears to be a former Borg drone working on 
the artifact. Right, I saw that. I saw that. It looks like he's had his, uh, like, facial implant taken off. Right, I mean, he's still got, I think, a little, a few mechanical bits. Right. But he's, yeah, he seems like he's more humanoid than he is cyborg, Right, he, he, he almost looks like the the still shots that we've seen of Hugh, right? Yes, yes, but right. it's brain not, it's being not, exposed. It's, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we have our Soji character in this scene who doesn't really look like she's doing anything. She's just standing off in the corner, like, cataloging stuff. Yeah, it's like she's a medical scribe. Um, in the surgery room, basically, like the one that's providing updates to the family that's waiting in the surgical waiting area, mm-hmm. or something. Um, but yeah, she's she's like taking notes, and and when you know, remember the line in the first episode where you know, I'm sure you deal with broken people you all deal day. With broken, and we we thought she was some kind of like therapist or psychiatrist, right? And to an extent, I wonder if she still is I mean she's uh, it's still it's it's not clear yet if it's, it's not strictly clear surgery it's not clear if yet. it's strictly surgery and medical scribing or if she truly is some kind of psychologist psychiatrist right. and counselor af- or something after, after they like take out their implants and people have been bored for a while they're disconnected there has to be some type of you know recovery from that traumatic event and yeah. if they need yeah. if they need you know a therapist there right Right. Okay. But but one thing that really intrigued me in this scene was we see Soji walk over to the this Borg drone that they were operating on and then she she leans in and she says something to it, to him. And I don't know what the words are, but something like you're free now or something like that. Mm-hmm. But but it's subtitled, right? She says it in an alien language. And then it immediately cuts over to our character Narek who like he peeks up and he looks at her funny like like she wasn't speaking romulan in that in that instance like she was speaking some other alien language maybe mm-hmm. and like we don't know who this alien race is like they were called the nameless and like was she speaking this nameless language because it definitely looked like Narek did not know what she was saying right i don't and know if you caught that i did and i was trying to like even listening to that dialogue a couple times, both, you know, watching it a few times and even like repeating that scene, I was like, does that sound like anything I've heard before? And and I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell either. I mean, part of it sounded maybe Vulcan, maybe something else. But but, but you would think that a guy like Narek, who's a member of the Tao Shiar or Jat Vash, would speak Vulcan, and he would recognize it. Mm-hmm. And it unless, totally looks like he does not recognize this language. Unless, and this is kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier, unless that this is like some like this is like a Jat Vash secret language that might be being manifested. I don't know, but it's it's interesting, to say the least. It is interesting, yeah. And even looking at uh, the end credits for that particular uh, character, that it's that character is just titled or, or named um, XB slash Nameless. 
So I'm guessing XB is probably just X Borg. Yeah, that's what the, the, like the Trill scientist says to her. She's like, are you researching XBs? Yep. So I was hoping for a clue, you know, looking looking at the, the, uh, the end credits, but anyway... It's whatever. So I think that's our last scene on the on the artifact until the very end, right? Yes, I'm pretty sure that was all of that was yeah that was all it. all the Borg stuff, all the Romulan Borgy stuff, except for that last bit that we'll we'll get to we'll here get in a to, second. Yeah, and so yeah. It, it it creates an interesting situation. Like I'm I'm definitely intrigued and interested in what's going on there, but like I said, like this is definitely I think the weakest part of the episode. Yeah, yeah. The the artifact stuff, just no, not for me. Um, all right. So this next part, um, where we're talking about, uh, you know, Picard. There's there's a lot of stuff. So like basically the rest of this is just Picard and Starfleet stuff for the most part, for for the rest of this episode. And now we've kind of done a, li- a little bit out of order, and that's okay. It's not too dramatic because there's a lot of intercut between the scenes and the story and stuff and it's it's okay um, but we Picard wants to go back to Starfleet he wants to basically be an admiral again be some kind of Starfleet officer again and let's kind of muddle through this the best we can how about that okay so he, first he goes and he he visits with an old doctor from the Stargazer who, which was cool. I which, liked that little throwback. Which we're trying to say, hey, you know, certify me to go back out into space. Tell Starfleet that I am physically fit and ready. So that was one thing I was like, really? You get winded going up some stairs, but you're you're perfectly fit? I mean. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, he's got to be perfectly fit, right? Well, it that wasn't like him... You know, trying to convince him. It was the doctor saying, "You are, by all accounts, you are, you know, perfectly fit, despite being a relic, and, except for this one thing in your parietal lobe." Yeah. So, so is is this one issue? Because I remember in All Good Things, when he flashes forward to the future, he's suffering from some ailment ear, or some issue. Eremetic syndrome. Yeah. So, is this the same thing? Or is this something different? It's, it might be something different, but I mean, Beverly Crusher, Dr. Crusher did talk about like, there is something in your parietal lobe in next gen, but I don't know if it was supposed to be that particular syndrome or if it's something else, because to me, despite seeing next gen numerous times, I thought this aromatic syndrome was supposed to be just a device that perhaps Q had devised to get him to think outside the box, so to speak, like with everything that happened in the series finale. So that's kind of where I'm a little lost in the weeds with this. I see. I, I think that this is not the same thing because I just don't think that the people writing this, I don't think they know enough. Let me say that. I think they, they they're not as knowledgeable as, a lot of us fans are here out here talking and listening on podcasts like this. Mm-hmm. So that's why I just don't think this is the same thing. Cause I think it would have been really easy to make it the same thing. Okay. So 
let me let me just talk, say this real quick. Um, you're you're a physics guy. I'm a brain and emotions, heart kind of guy. Being a counselor and stuff in real life. So parietal lobe, um, it's it's uh, towards the back of your brain. Okay. Okay. It's kind of like the top of your brain. Like you can kind of see. You can see me, Eric, but the rest of y'all can't. Okay. So if you're looking at your forehead, so your forehead is what's called your frontal lobe, and it's going to go up to about like the center of your head, and then from there back is more or less your parietal lobe. And then at the base of your skull, that's called your occipital lobe, and then above your ear is your temporal lobe. Okay. And so there's some other stuff too. So parietal lobe is something that is going to deal with processing your sensory stuff. Okay, so like how you like just your senses and how it uh, has to do like with your taste, with your touch, with uh, temperatures and things like that, um, and in having like spatial awareness of stuff. So that's that's like kind of like the quick and dirty of what the parietal lobe does. But like more of your executive functioning, your decision making, your your um, impulsivity your personality stuff like that that's going to be your frontal lobe okay so, so so that's interesting because this doctor here claims that all of the like the symptoms are like um outbursts of anger and things like that and that so I mean, is, that, is this a mistake on the on the, the writer's part it i'm not going to say that say that it is um but depending on what part of the parietal lobe that is being impacted it could be in that tri-state area okay like all right. you're, you're um, where it could have some carryover effect with the brain so just something to keep in mind that they they're all kind of like if they're being pushed and impacted it can impact other hemispheres other lobes or not other hemispheres but other lobes of the brain basically so just something to keep in mind okay yeah that's interesting all right so anyway this doctor you know, Picard plays on him and says, hey, are you going to do this for me? Are you going to be a good friend here? And the doctor agrees. We we know the doctor. We don't see it, but the doctor agrees because then we go to meet, we go to Starfleet to meet with the Admiral. Mm-hmm. And when we show up to Starfleet, I know if you want to talk about the music here, right, they're playing the main theme, aren't they? The original main theme actually right yeah that's what i meant yeah like the jerry goldsmith version from you know the motion picture which was later used for next gen it was modified for next gen but it's i mean it's even credited as theme from star trek the motion picture by jerry goldsmith so yeah it that was great I, I enjoyed that no sure i enjoyed it too and then we walk into starfleet and and uh we go meet with this admiral Okay, so what do you think of this scene with the admiral? Because I've got, I've got some thoughts, but I want to hear yours first. So, Fleet Admiral Kirsten Clancy. I, I have mixed feelings about this particular scene. Um, I thought it was utterly disrespectful and despicable, deplorable, whatever you want to call it, the way that she was speaking to Picard. And See, I disagree with that statement 100%. Well, hold on. At the same time, I do think it was pretty dang cocky of Picard 
to go in and be like, I want to be, a, I want to be, um, you know, a four pip admiral again, basically. I want to have my old rank back. And her saying, you know, having that the sheer effing hubris that you have, it just it just rubbed me the wrong way. I know that we're all vested in Picard. It just really rubbed me the wrong way, and it was hard to hear hear that that exchange. And I can kind of understand this decision to abandon the Romulans in favor of the already established member planets of the UFP, but it didn't make it any less difficult to hear or experience that exchange between the fleet admiral and the retired admiral. Okay, so do you want to know what I think? I do, I think. Okay, okay. so... Put my big boy pants on real quick. Hold on. When, right, when this admiral says the sheer effing hubris, she is 100% correct. 100%. That is exactly the appropriate response in this situation, as far as I'm concerned. Because you said it, incredibly cocky for Picard just to walk in after being out out of Starfleet for 10 years and going on TV and and basically just bad-mouthing Starfleet. Starfleet, it wasn't Starfleet anymore. And for him to just walk in there and say, I want a ship, I want a crew, like, do what I want, right? That is is so he is so in the wrong there especially because he has no evidence at all to support any of his claims he's just saying believe me i'm picard i'm a legend and i want to this is what i want so you're going to do it and her reaction is 100% appropriate and justified in that instance okay did you agree with the uh the decision to abandon the Romulans with what she was talking about? See, I, I think this is where where I really like this scene. This is my favorite scene of the entire episode. Okay. Is that there's no right answer. There's no wrong answer. Both sides have a point. And I think that's what, what good sci-fi tries to do is it tries to present a well-rounded situation. So I can definitely see where both sides have merit. Sure. And I think if we're thinking of what good sci-fi does, where it gets you to think about things, to get you to consider considering something, basically, like I've said a few times, you know, this is certainly at least one application having to do with, uh, like, the refugee stuff here in the United States, for one. I think I think that could be one application of what you know, what this dilemma was like that, you know, Admiral uh, Clancy and uh, Picard were experiencing for the most part. So, Right. And, and I totally understand this idea of we have to take care of our own first before we try and take care of other people. Mm-hmm. For sure. Okay. So, like, I don't know. I just feel like that whole scene there, though, is designed for you to have sympathy and for you to take Picard's side because we're just, this is called Star Trek Picard, right? And we've been conditioned throughout Starfleet history to be skeptical about admirals or, you know, high-ranking people that aren't members of our primary cast. We're just so conditioned to think they're wrong 
Mm-hmm. So that that whole scene is just set up for us to take Picard's side, but that wasn't the way. That wasn't my reaction to it. So let's let's just hang out here. Let's not necessarily talk about like the hubris and like the the conflict. But what this is this is totally like probably a dumb thing. But what do you think of the uniform, the admiral uniform? I don't have any thoughts. It's just the uniform. Okay. It. I mean, we've we've seen admiral uniforms at least in. Yeah, the you know, ad- admiral uniforms have evolved over time. And they, they've they usually have more way more whimsy and flair to them compared to like the regular, you know, ranks. Sure. You know, sure. like for from like ensign or even cadet up through captain basically, mm-hmm. and uh, I really liked it and. Um, I kind of want to get an admiral uniform now. And uh, did you notice? And again, I know this isn't you know like the the conflict or the discourse, but like, did you notice that they changed like very subtly the look of even the rank pips on this ep- in this episode? No, I wasn't really paying attention to that. So we we've seen in in eighties um, and nineties Star Trek like with the use of the the pip rank system that you know we know what they look like we know we ha- we've seen admiral ranks too and they're usually been contained within a um a rectangular bar with a black background and then the gold pips basically denoting whatever their admiral rank is going from two pips all the way up to four pips for rear admiral uh vice admiral and full admiral basically and it was more rectangular, but in this one, it was subtly changed to where the pips were a little shinier and more rounded instead of like blocked off like they were in the 80s and the 90s. And instead of being rectangular, it was more, um, what was that, like trapezoidal or something? I don't know. It was something. I'll have to go back and look. See, I wasn't paying that much attention in this scene. And, but then we're also later introduced to a commodore, which which is like between a captain and an admiral. Correct, correct. So they have like the the block design rank like an admiral, but it's a it's a one pip admiral rank for all intents and purposes of this description compared to like the two through four. So anyway, um, which I I guess that in a way kind of leads us to talking about more of this Starfleet stuff like the Starfleet HQ and kind of moving the story forward basically. Okay. So yeah. we're introduced to Commander O. Com- who, Commodore O. Com- yes, I'm sorry. Com- thank you, Eric. Commodore O. Um, and we're led to believe that they're some kind of Vulcan like operations Commodore because okay. she's wearing she's wearing gold. Okay, yeah, and we see the the idic on her on that box on her desk. Yes. So what do you think of the Commodore? Well, I have a, I have a few questions about the Commodore here. So, um, this Admiral, you know, we see her on the on the phone essentially with Commodore, and we're led to believe she's probably like the head of Starfleet intelligence or a high-ranking member of Starfleet intelligence. Yeah, and uh, you know. Very shady character here, right? You can just tell just by looking at her. Very shady character. She smells shady. But, like, my question is... Is she a Vulcan that's, like, working with the Romulans? 
or is she a Romulan that's like undercover and disguised as a Vulcan? I'm not sure because she knows about the Jatvash uh, and apparently she's working with them and if the Jatvash is such a deeply kept secret then why would they tell someone who's not a Romulan? And see that's the thing and I forgot her name but I I'm under the impression that the Commodore and the Lieutenant are both surgically altered Romulans. Yes, that, that are that are deep undercover. That's the impression that I got as well. Right? And she doesn't act very Vulcany. No, her her um, emotions are very close to the surface. There's a little bit too emotion there to like be a believable Vulcan. So True story. I, I thought I thought my reaction was that she's a Romulan undercover. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking about the lieutenant. I'm like, dang, man, like either you killed someone and you took their appearance and identity and you just became them or, man, you have been way undercover for a long time to have gone through the academy and now be a lieutenant in Starfleet well, and stuff. they Ash Tyler did. I thought we weren't going to talk about Star Trek Discovery today, Eric. I, uh, it, like, it, like, I mean, that's what they did, right? That's what I think they did. I mean, okay. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm... I just... I kind of like her. I kind of like the Commodore, but I'm also very... Uh, I mean, very suspicious, and I think that's, you know, what you're supposed to be. Right, and and we've, we've heard, like, Picard say, Starfleet is not Starfleet. It's not the organization that he, that he was a part of. And it's like we see here that it looks like Starfleet has been infiltrated, and maybe they've been infiltrated. Who knows how long? Like, because if you rose to the rank of a commodore, like you've had to have been there for a long time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for crying out loud. I mean, I know it's not all the time, but I mean, Riker for crying out loud. He was a commander for fifteen years. Well, well. Like he could have been a captain way sooner. He could have. He, been could, a, have. he could have been a captain in season two, right? That episode That's true. where his dad shows up to like brief yeah. him on the new command. That's in season two. So yeah. Riker chose to be a commander for fifteen years. Well, and and uh, Picard, he was captain of the Stargazer for like twelve years before taking command of the Enterprise D for at least fifteen years. We don't know how much longer he was in command of the Enterprise E. After Nemesis, but we know that sometime between within six years, for crying out loud, of of Nemesis ending, he's a four pip admiral. He's a full admiral, and he, his flagship is the USS Verity. So, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of time that's passed, you know, for for someone to, just to get to captain, let alone commodore, unless you're just really schmoozing hardcore for it. So. Anyway, I'm really interested to see how Commodore O, um, you know, plays out and the role that she might function. I'm hope I'm hopeful that they won't snoke her and just you know kill her off in episode three or four because that would kind of suck. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if this is the only time we saw Commodore O because I think okay. that whole scene with her is to introduce us to Lieutenant Rizzo. What's her face? Lieutenant Rizzo, who is like. Very clearly, uh, Romulan in disguise, like because we see at the end that she's Narek's sister. 
do so I don't remember if we if we talked about this last time and I, I don't even know if you were thinking about this but you know how we were how in the first episode he was saying um, I lost my brother you know yeah yeah and I'm wondering if you know this whole Jatvash thing that they're introducing if his brother is actually the lieutenant like surgically altered I mean, surgically altered to to become a woman why not I mean but it seems like an awfully long way to go I'm not I'm not discounting it it just seems like an awful long way to go well you know it is what it is I guess <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh, so man. I think we've only got a couple more scenes here to talk about right I think so yeah so we we know that Commodore O was like you know reviewing surveillance from when Picard was like waltzing around and stuff like that uh, around the San Francisco area and uh, we have I'm probably going to get it out of order was it him going to see Rafi or was it him or was it the, the artifact scene that came first I get it mixed up um the artifact scene is the very last scene of the episode. Okay. So So what hap- ta- what happens after we leave Commodore O is we go back to Picard's Villa Picard and he's there with Dr. Girardi. Yes. And they um, are drinking some Twinnings uh, Earl Grey tea. Yes, I paused it and you can see the Twinnings logo on the tea bags. Okay. So so like <laughs> I don't, I don't know what Twinnings is. It's just a brand. It's a tea. brand of tea. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, like, there's one little scene here where, like, she's, like, picks up the iRobot book from Isaac Asimov, and Picard then says, I never liked science fiction. I just don't get it. Like, what the hell is the point of that quote? Like, I almost feel like, like, it's meant to be funny or ironic, but I almost feel like it's the writer saying to us what kind of idiots watch shows like this I felt like it was like very insulting that comment yeah I kind of took it that way too and I think it would have been better suited if um, uh, he said something like oh you're a fan of the classics and you know she says what she said and instead of him saying you know sci-fi I don't get it he's like if you enjoy a classic you should read Shakespeare you know that I think that would have been more suited for Picard than saying, right. I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah, I just, I just like, that quote, like, really did not sit well with me at all. Me either. Yeah, I felt like it was a snub against Trek fans and sci-fi fans in general. I, yeah, that's the way I took it, too. I, I And I can't imagine that that's what the writers wanted. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't imagine that's what they wanted. Yeah. They had to think it was going to come off as humorous. Okay. They, yeah, probably. And there, this next part, okay, let's, this next part after drinking tea and finding, you need to go find someone that you hate. Well, but. but oh, but, hold, but, hold, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, Okay, this is the part that I got super excited about that you made me wait for. Okay. Okay, so, you know, you need a crew. Javon's telling Picard, you need a crew. You know, how about, you know, um, Riker or Worf or Jordy? I was so Happy when I heard that Jordy was alive. Let me tell you something, man. Oh yeah. Let me tell you. Yeah, I think I read somewhere that uh, 
in one of the I didn't read the comic, but I read somewhere that in the comic, Jordy was like in command of like a part of the fleet that was supposed to help the Romulans. He and, is, like, and he was he was like killed in that or something. So Jordy is the commander of Utopia Planitia. Okay, all right. So he's at the shipyards. So reading that, seeing Children of Mars and the explosions in that, as well as in the prologue of this very episode, I've been like, crap. Is he dead? Did we just really kill off Jordy off screen? Did this really just happen? And then I was like fanboying like crazy whenever I found out that Jordy was alive. I was like, yeah, come on now. And like, I think the whole point of, of saying Riker, Worf, Jordy is just pure fan service right there. I don't think it adds anything to this, right? I think people are just like... Hey, we're bringing back, you know, Riker and Troy and uh, Data. What about Worf and Jordy and all the other characters? And I think they just felt like they had to mention them somewhere. And I don't really think this adds anything for me. Sure. Okay. Well, regardless, for those that have been, you know, curious about the fate of Jordy, it's my understanding that he's alive since he was kind of name dropped. And I'm okay with that. Okay. So, so what do we do? We we go t- to meet Rafi. Raf, Rafi Musiker, who is his former first officer on the USS Verity. Okay, is that what she is? Yes. Okay. So, and he takes a friggin' taxi, he man. He takes a cab. He doesn't transport. Okay, first off, why a taxi? Why? Why does it? Why? Why? Why a taxi? Because there is no money. He's. He's traveling inconspicuously, or trying to, right? Because being an admiral is too conspicuous. You know, whether you're a friggin' admiral or you're a captain, people are going to know who Jean-Luc Picard is. Well, not the not the guy at the welcome center at Starfleet. He didn't know who that's Picard true. was. That or he was just having amnesia or just being, you know, dumb. But anyway. Anyway. But like the, Rafi the cap, comes like out the, with a gun pointed at Picard and says, walk away. Don't you dare come near me. Hold on. Hold on. Wait a tick, though. Do you have the 2386? <laughs> and she's, she's, she's like, there's nothing you can say to me to make me want to listen. He's like, secret Romulan commandos are operating on Earth. You got the 2386. <laughs> Throws the water out of her cup or whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I liked... I know it was just a comic, but I did like their interaction and the relationship that they had in the comic. And I'm hoping that we'll see that like hints of it as this season goes on. Like she refers to, to uh, Jean-Luc as JL. Um, like that's, that was part of their relationship. Like that was the nickname that she would call him even as an admiral. So um, I'm hoping that kind of plays out as the season goes on and um, seeing how it goes from, you know, hatred and disdain at this point to maybe more friendship and you know camaraderie like they had on the verity together so okay and then all right i guess one last scene right one last scene we got little hologram uh lieutenant and narek hanging out chit-chatting about super secret spy stuff and she's basically like hey you better figure out get get information or I'm coming out there and I'm taking this job away from you. Yeah. Yeah. Which 
again, I still think that she's surgically altered. I think that that hasn't changed. Oh, I, I definitely think she's a, a Romulan in disguise because she they even call each other like brother and sister in that scene. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to be able to look at Narek the same. I'm, he's just going to be Austin Powers, like a Romulan Austin Powers for me until something changes. So. Okay. All right. So there we are. End of the episode. We are at the end of the episode. We did it, Eric. We did it. Okay. So, overall thoughts? Overall thoughts, um, for me, it was a it was an all right episode. It wasn't as good as the first one, in my opinion. I felt like they took extra care with the pilot more than they did this one. This one felt all over the place. It felt kind of clunky to me. Um, especially the Narek scenes. I just, I'm just not jiving with him. I'm hoping I warm up to him eventually, but I'm just not, I'm not picking up what he's laying down right now. And I, you know, I was telling you, you know, pre-show Eric that I've watched this three times. I guess that's going to be like my, my modus operandi is to watch Picard three times before we do these reaction episodes or something. But, you know, the first time hated it. Second time it was not as much of a hate. Third time, it was manageable. So, I, if I were to rate this, if you were to ask me that on the first viewing, I would have given it a six. But on my third viewing, I'm going to give this thing probably maybe a seven and a half. Okay, I think that's I think that's fair. Um, so I've I've seen this episode twice. I watched it. Thursday night, and then I watched it, I finished watching it about 20 minutes before we started recording this. Um, And I think I agree. The first time I saw it, I didn't like it as much, and I liked it more the second time I watched it. I think, this is just my opinion, you can agree, you can disagree, that we, I said the first week's episode I thought was either too long or too short. Right? It wasn't the right length. I thought you could have easily changed that up, and it was too fast. I feel like this episode is too fast as well. And I really think the show would have been better served combining these two episodes into a single episode. It would have taken a little bit of rework. You can't just put them right together. It would have taken a little work. But I really think it would have benefited from having a two-part premiere. I mean, every single Star Trek, except for the original series, has had a two-part premiere. This is the only one that hasn't. Yeah. And you said last after the first episode that you thought it was a breath of fresh air and a, a, yes. a needed and welcome one. And, yes. and I would agree with that. I did agree with that. I still agree with this that now. And I think all of that breath of fresh air from that first episode, I feel like all of that momentum that we had was like stop dead in its tracks with this episode. Yeah. I feel like this episode, I I really think you should have combined it with the first one and done a two part premiere. And we would have, we be, we would have better, a better response to this episode. That's what I'm, that's my, that's my opinion. What do you think? Okay. Yeah, I can, I could, probably get on board with something like that for sure um, I mean because like you're 
you, you're getting this anticipation up, you know, with the premiere episode, like Patrick Stewart is back as Jean-Luc Picard. I mean, everyone's like super excited about that. And of course, people are going to tune in and and watch this this uh, series. But yeah, like the and, and we we talked about this last time, like with the pacing that, you know, once the explosion happened in first episode in the first episode, uh, Picard wakes up on a couch. I think that should have been the start of this episode like that should have been like part two like waking up on the sofa going to daystrom and then getting the flashback to um the mars attack and everything like that and then all this like that would have been great mm-hmm. uh, sure yeah. we would yeah sure we, sure we would have had like a 30 something minute episode but, on but, the front end but, but but still it would have worked out worked itself out in the end right even still you could have you could have had the same amount of of story in that first episode and you could have just let it take its time and it wouldn't have had to be 30 or 35 minutes. It could have still been 40 minutes, just giving it a little room to breathe. Yeah. So I guess one of the last things, um, I guess I want to ask you about pacing cause I think we might disagree with this. So for me, I thought this episode was incredibly fast because like I, I mean the, the, the Admiral office scene, with the fleet admiral, the CNC, I looked up and I was like, dang. And we're at like the 22 minute mark there. And then I blink three times and we're, we're having a secret brother, sister conversation on the artifact and the episodes over. And so like, I guess I was like sucked in, in, uh, in one respect, but at the same time, I just felt like it was a really fast episode. I agree. I um, I was watching this episode, and I watch everything with subtitles, no matter what. And at the end of every episode that's subtitled, it says, Captioning by. And I'm watching this scene with Narek and, and Lieutenant Rizzo, totally not realizing that we're, you know, 40 minutes into this episode. And then all of a sudden, like, they stop talking, and it's like, it says closed captioning by before the episode ends. There's like at least 10 Next s- time on Star Trek Picard. But I mean, there's at least 10 seconds there where the captioning is up there. And you're like, wait, that's the end of the episode? That was 45 minutes? No way. It mm-hmm. went really fast. And I guess maybe that is we're sucked in. But I did not expect that to be the last scene of the episode. Mm-hmm. And I think it's yeah. I think it's kind of strange that both episodes have ended with Narek. I don't, I don't know if I'm reading too much into that, but I think that's a weird choice that both episodes have ended with him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. regardless, I mean, I know that I, I gave my rating. What would you, if you were to give it like a, a 1 out of 10, it's 0 a, to 10 type of thing, what would it be? It's a, it's a 7, right? I gave the first episode a 7.5. I'll give this one a 7. Okay. I just, I think, I think it all boils down to this and this goes with pacing there's so much plot happening there's a lot of plot thrown into us in these two episodes but there's very little character movement and i think that's maybe the biggest issue i have is it seems like there should be a lot happening with all this plot points that they've thrown at us but the characters themselves haven't done very much at all Mm -hmm. yeah well, still, we're still going to show up and watch it and and talk about it. And 
I'm not going to be an angry nerd troll and say that I outright hated this episode because I did not outright hate it. Me neither. It just, this was just, this episode just wasn't my cup of Earl Grey tea hot. Nope, mine, mine either. And, and I think it's interesting that like, um, uh, the when the first reviews started to come out, they the first reviews online before last week's episode, there all the reviews were for the first three episodes because the first mm-hmm. three episodes were made available to critics all at once, and mm-hmm. basically all of the reviews said uh, the first three episodes are slow and they're just gonna take their time and prod along here. Yeah, and, and I've heard and that the first. Yeah, the first three episodes are also directed by the same person. Like, what they did with this season is they chose to direct them in groups. Like, Hannah Culpepper, that's the name of the director, for, she'll do the first three episodes, and then Jonathan Frakes is going to direct the next three episodes. Really? I thought... So I thought I read that Hanel Culpepper was just doing one and two, and then Frakes was doing three and four for I'm some reason. almost 100% positive that... That it's she's doing the first three episodes, and then Jonathan Frakes is coming in for the next three. Interesting. Okay. Well, um, any any final thoughts as we as we wrap this up, Eric? I'm like I said I said this last week. Um, like, don't get too into your own headspace about theories. Like, I've got some theories about things that can happen. I've got an idea. Um, and I'm kind of interested in that, but you know, try to enjoy it. I enjoyed it. I hope it doesn't seem like I didn't enjoy it because I absolutely did, and and I hope that everyone else out there listening enjoyed it as well. Yeah, and you know, just just recognize too for those of you that are listening. You know, first off, we're we're very grateful that you're you're choosing to listen, not only to our reaction but just to the show in general. So you know. I hope that you recognize and respect our our opinion on this, and that it's and that's all it is, just an opinion. You know, the the community and just I think Trek in general, I think does a, a pretty decent job of respecting one's opinions on like the shows and the movies and the characters and stuff like that. So, you know, this is we're just doing this one week at a time, folks. And you might disagree, you might love it or you might loathe it, but whatever, we can all we can all get along. So. Um, I guess that's I guess that's it. I guess we gotta start saying goodbye for the for uh, for this episode. So um, see ya. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> no, but seriously, thank you, Eric, for for again doing this. And um, it's always a pleasure to have you. I'm gonna keep saying that. I'll be a broken record on that. I mean it though. So thank you for for doing this with me. It's always a pleasure to be here. I'm gonna keep saying that. Good. All right, folks. Well, again, thank you for um, engaging with us today as we talk about Star Trek Picard Season 1, Episode 2, Maps and Legends. Uh, remember that you can connect with us on all the socials. So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all at at TRTVPod. Um, make sure that you do that. Make sure you connect with us. And um, we'd love to get to know you and, and hang out with you um, in cyberspace. So you found the page, you found the group. Just hit that join group button or go to group button and shazam, there you are. Um, but remember, you can also uh, let us know you know, how you're reacting, how you're responding to these episodes and, and just the content that we're, we're producing here. Uh, you can do that by um, 
by opening hailing frequencies to trtvpod at gmail.com. You can also send a voice-only communication to 817-752-4757, 817-752-4757. Remember, there's a three-minute time limit, and your comments may be used on a future episode of Engage. These are the Voyages podcast or TRTV news. And finally, if you just, you know, like, you know, mailing or sending, you know, pads, like data pads and stuff like that, you can do that. Or you can write a letter and you can send it to the Lone Star Station to P.O. Box 2455 Azle, Texas, A-Z-L-E 76098. Hope you guys are doing well. Thank you for listening. And as always, may you boldly go and make it so.